Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Friday, July 22nd, 2022, the 548th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you who are listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do that for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. You will be supporting this show and the work that I do. If you're unable to do that because times are tough, you can reach out to me. A couple of good people in the podcast chat on Telegram have sponsored year-long subscriptions for people. So if you're having trouble but you want to keep up to date on the podcast, get in touch with me. I'll give you a free subscription. Otherwise, Please consider supporting the show. And hey, if it's just not that important to you, keep listening on Rumble or whatever podcast app you have a couple days late. It's all good. That's why I put it there. If I wasn't okay with you doing that, I wouldn't have done it. Now, if you've listened to this show for a long time, you will know that it's a rare occasion when I talk about anything that's happening because I don't think it's particularly relevant to the conversation I want to have on this podcast most of the time. Every now and then it is, and so I mention it. This is going to be one of those times. 
And I'm doing it because I want to highlight one of the problems that exists right now in dialogue between those who are still sleeping, those who are addicted to the central narrative, those people who believe in the authoritative source and that the authoritative source would never steer them wrong. And the rest of us who have reattached ourselves to reality. Maybe some of you were always well attached to reality and congratulations to you. You beat me. You've got that advantage over me. Maybe you will always have that advantage over me, but I'm trying to catch up as fast as I can. The problem I want to talk about is the difference we have in what constitutes evidence and the role evidence has in changing opinions and changing beliefs and what kind of evidence is capable of doing that and what sorts of evidence are not capable of doing that. But despite that, we are convinced and taught throughout our education, whether it's in public school or private school for our elementary and high school education. And then many people go on to college where these ideas are further drilled into their heads. I can speak for myself and say that those ideas were drilled into my head, where what matters is a certain kind of evidence, evidence derived from an authoritative source and passed down to experts and then disseminated through cultural channels, whether it's the news or academic literature. And because we accept that these institutions are fundamentally based on a meritocracy, We believe that the information they disseminate has been poured over by the smartest, most knowledgeable people in any given field, and that they are all acting in good faith to come to the right conclusions. And then every other variety of evidence is dismissed because it doesn't conform to that standard of evidence. And I don't mean standard by just a qualitative judgment. I mean, standard by they require evidence to be derived from the authoritative source passed down through the experts in any given field. That is the only evidence that exists. That's the only real evidence that matters. And once the academy and the experts have decided that a certain position is the factual correct position. We are taught to believe that that is now the objective truth and that the only way to dispute that sort of objective truth is with other evidence that disproves that objective truth from the same sorts of people. Those people also presume to be acting in good faith. So if that other evidence fails to convince someone or you can't pile up enough evidence on one side to compete with all of the confirming evidence on the other side, if the new evidence or the competing evidence can't build a consensus around it. And by consensus, I mean, again, only in the institutions, only among academics and experts who all believe they are receiving knowledge from the authoritative source. If the competing evidence can't sway that consensus opinion among academics and experts, then the competing evidence is disregarded And a collective decision is made to stick with the original point of view. Now, that could actually be quite effective if everyone was operating in good faith and considering all the evidence in good faith. 
And we've been convinced throughout our lives that that is exactly what's happening. All of these people are looking at all of the evidence and they are trying to winnow it down into the best evidence and then reach the conclusion that the evidence leads them to. Now, all of that relies on whether or not these people are acting in good faith. And I'm not trying to besmirch academics and experts. Plenty of them do excellent work. But there's still nothing about being an academic or an expert that means you have perfect or even sound judgment and discernment, including about things in the field in which you are an expert. In fact, if you have an ego, for instance, or you're incentivized or you're too stubborn, you're very likely to ignore competing evidence because you don't want to be wrong. And the fact that people are incentivized with a whole range of incentives should make it clear that not everyone is acting in entirely good faith. There are plenty of people who are not acting in good faith at all. And that applies to literally every profession and every type of person. Not every person is always operating in good faith. Not every person is taking in all of the evidence. And by the way, it's not possible to take in all the evidence, okay? Which is why you should remain open-minded always that something might change your mind. You might've gotten a detail wrong here or there. It might've led you astray in your judgment. You know, the whole point is taking in the evidence, extracting meaning, and then thinking about that meaning morally and what it implies about your worldview and about what's happening in the world. That's the process. But that process gets short-circuited when people are not acting in good faith. It also gets short-circuited because that is not the only kind of evidence in the world. Despite how much academics and experts accept the notion that it is. So now for the personal story. As almost all of you must know by now. I was a lifelong Democrat up to 2017, and I also spent most of my adult life as an atheist. I came to those conclusions about politics and about my own spirituality, about the existence of God, about the purpose of religion and culture through those same methods. I did not believe there was evidence for the existence of God. I believed that the evidence about politics was what it was. And then people simply had different opinions. There was a good side and a bad side. And I believe that I was justified in my judgments of which was the good side and which was the bad side based on my interpretations of what I saw as communicated to me through the news and through culture and through academic and expert channels. I believed that I had done my work in taking in all of that variety of evidence that I could. And I believed I was making sound judgments. The people around me came to many of the same conclusions, which made me feel like I must be on to something. And when I was in discussions or arguments with people, my common reply was, well, that's simply not true. Let me show you all of this evidence for my position. And I would 
immediately turn to academic and expert channels to news reports from the New York Times or the Washington Post or the Atlantic and even later from the National Review or the Wall Street Journal. And I would have these discussions online and off and I would allow people to try to prove their case to me, but they often seemed like they were telling me things that simply weren't true and they weren't true in as far as I understood them. And it's not that I wasn't open to being convinced I was wrong. It was that no one was ever providing an argument to prove to me I was that was backed by evidence that I could respect and understand and trust because I required a certain kind of argument and a certain kind of evidence. And of course, I was educated to believe that the answers not only can be found, but many of them have been found by the smartest experts in the world. And now what we have as a result of them finding all these answers is some real conclusive proof about the state of the world, about the state of reality itself. And anytime I doubted myself and the things I believed, I would begin researching them. But because I was already firmly set in my position, I was convinced that my position was the result of all of that academic work and my own work to understand it. I was obviously biased against competing evidence. But the real problem was my misunderstanding of what constituted actual evidence and my reliance on what I believed to be authoritative sources acting in good faith. I was educated to believe this is what smart people do. This is how smart people reach their conclusions. And unless someone could prove I was wrong on my terms, then I believed I was right. And I believed that the person I was talking to either wasn't fully contending with my position or perhaps they were uninformed or perhaps they just simply weren't that bright. And because of this thought process and because of my reliance on other people's thinking on the presumption that not only did they know what they were talking about and considering all other points of view, but that they were all acting in good faith. I spent a lot of my life with a lot of really backwards views about subjects I now understand to be of critical importance. And not only in debates about whether or not I'm right or wrong about politics or religion or anything else, but about things that actually affected my life and guided my behavior and the ways that I treated other people. And I've said this a bunch of times, but the reason I go after this mindset so hard is because I used to inhabit it, right? My mission on this podcast is to get people to stop thinking that way and reconnect with reality, reconnect with their own human nature, with their own ability to think critically and their ability to reason morally. I've said many times, I don't care if people end up thinking I'm right. And I certainly won't preclude people from my life if they come down on moral issues in different ways than I do. But because of the brainwashing, which, by the way, I myself was subjected to, people are no longer able to even engage this process. 
You have to look at facts, all the facts, all the evidence. If you're trying to reach proper conclusions about anything in your life, by the way, you can't only look at the facts that make you happy. You have to look at the other facts. Like if you have a huge crush on someone and you're getting along great with them, you feel like something really fantastic is building and you find out that person has cheated on their last 12 partners. Well, that fact's not going to make you feel good. But if you decide to simply ignore it, you might be making a massive mistake. Chances are you are not 100 percent, right? Some people change. Some people get out of their bad behaviors. Their past mistakes have made them who they are now. You can forgive because it didn't happen to you. And maybe you decide to take that chance. That's your judgment to make. But if you ignore the fact that the person you're considering a relationship with has cheated on their last 12 partners, you're not setting yourself up for success and happiness. Now, when I was growing up, my parents were pretty middle of the road. My dad was a Democrat. My mom was a registered Republican who often voted Democrat. And so I generally followed their thinking. And when I went to college, when I began following politics more seriously, I already had some sort of worldview. And when you begin following politics, it's really easy to get into the sport of it. Decide that you have one team and you have to defeat the other team. And to defeat the other team, you're going to talk about a range of mostly irrelevant issues under the assumption that not only are they the most important issues, but that you're being properly informed about those issues. And when you add in that we are educated to think in a certain way and to perceive only certain kinds of arguments and kinds of evidence as valid, it becomes really easy to just focus on supporting your team and learn your team's arguments as well as possible so you can defeat the other team. And one of the most effective ways to do that is by being a fact guy, being ostensibly evidence-based, which means that you have collected all of the evidence that supports your team's position, and you can simply show that to someone else. Now, if you're not a person who wants to pay much attention to politics, if you find it annoying, if you don't like the bickering, if you think that it doesn't affect your lives, if you're jaded and you believe all politicians are corrupt, all politicians are bad, and you simply shut off, then it's pretty easy to just go along with the central narrative and you let it bother you a little bit now and then you look something up now and then, but you consider that you're mostly getting the right story and you can balance out the two sides, Republican and Democrat, right? And somewhere in the middle of all that is the truth and you have access to it. If you're not exactly right, you're right enough and if you're not right at all, it kind of doesn't matter because everyone else like you, all the other academics, all the other experts believe the same thing. So you can at that point simply plead ignorance and then you get a free ride. But that was a tangent back to the family thing. So I was the only person in my family to immediately realize that the entire narrative about the COVID-19 very deadly pandemic was absolutely wrong. It was wrong from the start 
and it was wrong intentionally. And sadly, I am still the only person in my family who understands all of that. Now, in December of 2020, I received an email from my mother with an Atlantic article attached. I glanced at the CC box and I realized that she had sent this to my family. And normally in my family, we grew up apart from our extended family. So most of what we do as a family is just the five of us, my father, my mother, my two brothers, and me. I assumed that's who the email was to. So I wrote back the Atlantic article was singing the praises of science and their accomplishments throughout the coronavirus pandemic. And I answered, what in the world is going on with this article? This coronavirus response is the greatest political, moral and scientific failure in human history. This is a crime against humanity on a scale that we haven't seen since World War II and may never have seen. And the fact that the virus was created and or manipulated in a lab should show that beyond a shadow of a doubt. You can't claim all of this as some resounding scientific success when it's a scientific failure that started the problem in the first place and bad science that exacerbated this problem. When we eventually account for all of this, how we pushed hundreds of millions of people in the world into extreme poverty, how we made sure that people couldn't go to cancer screenings because those weren't essential. We needed all the hospital beds, how we increased depression and anxiety and loneliness and isolation, suicidal ideation, suicide, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, domestic abuse, child abuse. All of that will be traced directly back to the scientists and academics who were not working in good faith and who came to fundamentally evil moral conclusions about how to achieve the good of society. And of course, that makes sense because we know we are in the midst of a rising technocratic and communist regime governed by global bodies like the UN and the WHO and the World Economic Forum. Every bit of their agenda is supported by the academy and by the experts. And not only is that obviously and observably true, it's the justification for why all of them are right and they have the moral duty to impose it on the world, even if the people of the world don't want any of it. So I responded along those lines to my family, thinking it was my mother, my father, my two brothers. A simple enough response. No one had to answer me if they don't agree. Wasn't trying to start an argument. I just don't want anyone I know or I care about to remain ignorant to what's actually happening and remain deceived about not only their education, but what the culture has inculcated in them as well. I will always respond with what I believe to be true. That doesn't always mean I will be right, but I will support the things that I'm saying as long as somebody else wants to disagree with me and support the things they're saying. So unbeknownst to me, my mother had also attached uh, my uncle by marriage, not by blood. 
And when I was growing up, he was like our really fun uncle. He was a biology professor at Cornell, where Anthony Fauci spent much of his career and a lot of his influence. And at the time, I understood him to be primarily studying small animals in rodents. And we would go out and make plaster casts of animal footprints, for instance, which is a lot of fun when you're eight years old. It's pretty awesome. And we used to play with water guns, etc. But this is also a person that I haven't seen in probably 25 years. So it turns out that he's on the email as well. And I have suddenly just committed heresy by saying that the science isn't what's saving the world. He believes that the work of his peers is unassailable. You cannot argue with it. If he says it, it's correct. And he has taken this approach to COVID and continues to take this approach to COVID. Despite how many times he's been proven wrong, he argued with me back then about whether or not COVID came from the lab, whether or not lockdowns were effective, and whether or not hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin could have saved lives. I have consistently been proven correct about each and every one of those positions over and over and over and over again in the nearly two years since that conversation. He has been proven wrong again and again and again about all of it, absolutely all of it, but he doesn't think so. How can that be? Because even among experts and academics and the CDC, I have been proven right about those things. All of his original sources are now on my side just much later, but he is still right, according to him, because the science can't be wrong. And the scientific consensus among academics and experts of a certain viewpoint, all presumed to be acting in good faith, though they are not. Well, they can't be wrong either. And because he's a scientist and he respects science, whereas I, oh, I don't respect science. I'm just a dumb guy. I'm just a dumb Trump supporter. I don't respect science. He knows that all of those scientists are operating in good faith and they are just taking the best information and reaching the right conclusions. And yes, sometimes everybody makes mistakes after all. It's a brand new virus. Just saying brand new virus over and over and over again. That's the excuse for all of science's mistakes. Couldn't be anything else. Couldn't be they aren't acting in good faith. Couldn't be that they're corrupted or compromised or that their lives are threatened as we know they are. It can't be any of those things. And certainly none of them could ever be bad people. Just like my uncle. He is a perfect moral human because he's a scientist. Don't you understand? So he emails back all authoritative and tries to tell me how I'm wrong and how what I'm saying is dangerous and it's compromising people's lives. And I try to bring up the bigger picture and talk about the stolen election. It's December 2020. And of course, he thinks that's ridiculous, too. So I provide plenty of evidence that should convince any rational observer that if the election wasn't stolen, at least there are things that are seriously wrong that are worth getting explanations to. For instance, 
I supplied the analysis from that UCLA mathematician who said the chances of the vote happening the way it was recorded and reported were one in a quadrillion. And of course, he took that to mean that I somehow thought through my scientific and mathematical ignorance that I thought that meant Joe Biden had a one in a quadrillion chance of beating Donald Trump. But that's not what I said. And that's not what the argument is. And that's not the point I made. The point I made was that it was a mathematical impossibility for the vote to be correct based on the way it was recorded and reported, which they still support. It's not like they changed it and fixed it. And the key issue here was that the counting was stopped. It was restarted in the middle of the night. And then in the morning, we had these massive vertical vote spikes on the charts. The mathematician was saying for that exact result to have been achieved legitimately would have a one in a quadrillion chance. So if nothing else, if that doesn't convince you of election theft, and it's fine if it doesn't, it should at least convince you that there is something seriously wrong with the way the votes were counted and reported. But that doesn't play because they were already prepared to say, oh, that's just because of mail-in ballots coming in late. Does that make any sense to an adult with any level of sophistication on the subject? Of course not. But it did make sense to the professor of biology. And then he went into some spiel where he grabbed like historical quotes and said, has Donald Trump ever said anything like this? Donald Trump is a stupid man. This is not how he communicates. Again, absolutely irrelevant to the subject. And by the way, if we want to analyze Donald Trump's speeches, he might not have the vocal cadence that academics and experts are used to hearing and listening to. But that's because they are prejudiced against anyone who doesn't speak the way they speak, the way they expect smart people to speak. But if you simply look at the text of Donald Trump's speeches, he has had a great many great lines and great passages and inspirational quotes that you can draw out of all of that. So that argument's ridiculous. But we went back and forth and he got very, very angry and he has continued over the last year and a half or so. And so has another of my uncles, by the way, again, an academic who has spent his life as literally a communist activist. They are utterly obsessed with convincing my family that I am wrong and dangerous. They don't even really try to convince me that I'm wrong. They always make sure to tag new family members every time they communicate so that they can show all of them how wrong and dangerous I am as well. And so I got an email last night, like right after I finished putting the show up and the email essentially accused me of being a spreader of disinformation. And he said that what I was doing was a crime. No joke. He wants to see me criminally prosecuted for spreading dangerous disinformation, which, by the way, he doesn't consume. I can't imagine he reads my writing and I'm almost positive he doesn't listen to the podcast. They just know what I do and know that it's dangerous. 
I actually kind of hope he does listen to the podcast and spends his days just furiously obsessed like my other uncle is as well. Because how much more insecure could you possibly be about your own beliefs that you spend your days trying to figure out how your nephew, who you have no relationship with, is a domestic terrorist? But despite all this, he's not a dystopian Nazi type figure who's a fan of the censorship regime and having people with different ideas fall victim to the state's use of force against them to silence them. No, he is a hero. And so here's the paper that he sent me. It's from The Lancet. It was published a month ago. Global impact of the first year of COVID-19 vaccination, a mathematical modeling study. Okay, right there, mathematical modeling. That should already set off alarms that whatever follows is just somebody's interpretation of a series of facts that they deem important and then reach whatever conclusions they want on them. And we've seen how poor their mathematical models are in general. Epidemiology is not a science. It's applied mathematics combined with those researchers worldview and their understanding of how humans operate and human nature. And again, remember the people whose worldview is being made part of this mathematical model scientists. Now, again, there are some wonderful scientists who I'm sure are absolutely lovely people with a wide range of interests and hobbies and pursuits. I have no problem with scientists, but if you're going to tell me that you have an intricate understanding of human operation and human nature as a scientist, I'm going to think you're full of shit. There is absolutely nothing about the biology of rodents that enables someone to have a expert view on human nature. It's preposterous. But nonetheless, we trust the science. We trust the experts. Neil Ferguson from the esteemed Imperial College of London gives us a mathematical model that says 2.4 million people will die in the United States from COVID if we don't execute this series of mitigations and turn over the functioning of our society to the science. That model was spectacularly wrong. It wasn't even close. And the funny thing is that based on what situation they're trying to use the science in, that model was both right and wrong. It was right when they tell us things could have been so much worse if you didn't listen to us, if we didn't lock down. Things would have been so much better if we actually locked down everywhere. Those red state governors, they cost everybody their lives, even though all the problems were in blue states. So it's right because it justifies their policies. But then if you say, well, then because that number didn't happen, that must mean that Donald Trump saved hundreds of thousands of people's lives. And he often says that, too, probably for this reason. And then they say, that's not true. He didn't save anybody's lives. In fact, he made it worse. Okay, so is the model right or wrong? That model, that one model guided a major turn in human history 
Was that model right? It just clearly wasn't right, right? It's not right in the real world. They can make arguments about why it was wrong and still try to say that it was right, but it was wrong. So mathematical modeling is not what you would call a direct evidence-based science. It's a mathematical conclusion drawn from a subset of data deemed to be important by the people doing the study. And that's all it is. Maybe it's good information, but it still remains information among other information. And it's not remotely authoritative. So I'm going to read just some of this study. Here's the background. The first COVID-19 vaccine outside a clinical trial setting was administered on December 8th, 2020. To ensure global vaccine equity, vaccine targets were set by the COVID-19 Vaccines Global Access Facility and WHO. However, due to vaccine shortfalls, these targets were not achieved by the end of 2021. We aimed to quantify the global impact of the first year of COVID-19 vaccination programs. So right from the beginning, we just didn't have enough vaccines. That's their first claim. Methods. A mathematical model of COVID-19 transmission and vaccination was separately fit to reported COVID-19 mortality and all-cause excess mortality in 185 countries and territories. The impact of COVID-19 vaccination programs was determined by estimating the additional lives lost if no vaccines had been distributed. We also estimated the additional deaths that would have been averted had the vaccine coverage targets of 20% set by COVAX and 40% set by WHO been achieved by the end of 2021. So we didn't achieve 20% or 40% by the end of 2021. Well, certainly we must have in the United States. We were told that hundreds of millions of people had signed up for it and that the unvaxxed were this strange and stupid minority. Very strange. But again, they've chosen their critical factors for analysis. They've chosen the data set that they plan to use, which is not all of the world's data and doesn't account for many of the problems within that data that we know about that are undeniable. Not the least of which is the ineffectiveness of the testing program they were using and the fact that they were testing asymptomatic people over and over and over and over and over again, and some people absolutely not at all. And that when they look at mortality statistics, they go over death certificates. COVID just has to appear somewhere on there, a positive COVID test, knowing that the test produces tons of false positives. All that's necessary is a positive COVID test or a diagnosis from the clinician of likely COVID. And then that counts as a COVID death. So the mortality statistics are a mess too, but they don't care. They just need the mathematical model. Findings. Based on official reported COVID-19 deaths, we estimated that vaccinations prevented 14.4 million deaths from COVID-19 in 185 countries and territories between December 8th, 2020 and December 8th, 2021. And they estimate a 95% credibility interval. 
This estimate rose to 19.8 million deaths from COVID-19 averted when we used excess deaths as an estimate of the true extent of the pandemic, representing a global reduction of 63% in total deaths during the first year of COVID-19 vaccination. In COVAX advanced market commitment countries, we estimated that 41% of excess mortality, 17.9 million deaths were averted. In the low income countries, we estimated that an additional 45% of deaths could have been averted had the 20% vaccination coverage target set by COVAX been met by each country, and that an additional 111% of deaths could have been averted had the 40% target by WHO been met by each country by the end of 2021. Interpretation. COVID-19 vaccination has substantially altered the course of the pandemic, saving tens of millions of lives globally. However, inadequate access to vaccines in low-income countries has limited the impact in these settings, reinforcing the need for global vaccine equity and coverage. So what we need is actually far more vaccination around the world, and we have to pay as much money as it costs to get those vaccines everywhere and get some shots in arms. And they're saying this in late June of 2022. Now, obviously, this is a mathematical model, and they're essentially creating the results and using those results as a justification for the vaccine program. They're trying to say that the vaccine saved millions and millions of lives. Again, they always disregard all of the severe negative health consequences from taking these vaccines. It is also interesting that they use the period from, from December 8th, 2020 to December 8th, 2021. Now, 2021 was the first full year of the vaccine intake, and we have seen since then that the vaccine side effects begin to become more obvious over time. Not everybody dies in the first week or two. By the way, the first week or two, according to the academics and the experts and the science, that first week or two, you're still unvaccinated. In fact, you're still unvaccinated until you have fulfilled your full dose. If you're one of the people who took the mRNA two dose vaccines. So none of those negative health consequences in the first two weeks are actually from the vaccine. Those are all from something else. Those are deaths in unvaccinated people. So we ignore those. We ignore the fact that the vaccines become more dangerous over time as they break down your body's immune system. And we're just going to use that early period based on the data they accept. And you can go through the rest of the study and read it for yourself. I encourage you to. But this was supposed to be a knockdown game ending argument from my uncle that I was a criminal spreader of disinformation. This mathematical modeling proves that the COVID vaccines are saving everyone's lives and that people like me who have spread all of this disinformation for the last two years are actually responsible for all of the COVID deaths in the country. It's not the science. It's not the scientists who created the virus and manipulated it in a lab. It's not their fault at all. In fact, 
They have saved 10 million lives across the world. So long as we don't count any of those people who died from the vaccine that it turns out doesn't prevent infection, transmission, serious illness or death. And that's admitted at this point. So the vaccine that almost definitely has not protected a single person is now responsible for saving 15 to 20 million lives. And it would have been more if not for all the disinformation. That is what my uncle believes this article proves. This paper. Sorry, didn't mean to call it an article, scientists. But let's see one other section of this brilliant paper. And of course, I have to look at the funding section, which is right on the first page of the paper. Here's the funding for this mathematical model. Schmidt Science Fellowship in partnership with the Rhodes Trust. WHO, UK Medical Research Council. Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance. Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. National Institute for Health Research and Community Jamil. I don't know what that is, but the NIH, the WHO, the UK's Medical Research Council, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and Gavi. These are among the biggest promoters of vaccines in the entire world. And of course, the WHO is the world governing body who just a month ago tried to put in a future framework that would dictate to all the countries of the world what they must do anytime the WHO says that there is a pandemic of concern. He believes that this was a knockdown argument and not further proof of his derangement and his scientific materialism, his secular religious commitment to what is handed down by the authoritative source. In this situation, the authoritative source is the WHO, the NIH, that's Francis Collins, and under him at the National Institute of Allergies and Infectious Diseases, that's Anthony Fauci, Gavi, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. These are the authoritative sources. And because this paper now exists, I am a criminal for not accepting the overwhelmingly obvious truth of his argument. And if you think I'm exaggerating, here is what he writes. How many deaths will it take for you to subordinate the economic suffering and to assuage your job loss? You got that? This is still to him about me having my career taken from me by an authoritarian government acting on bad science and in bad faith. That's what all of this is about. We're told doesn't care about anybody's job loss. Also doesn't care about the fact that I could have gone and done other things. This is what I choose to do. None of that matters. He has figured out why I'm doing all of this without knowing me at all and without listening to my show or reading my work. I think that you have acted criminally in promulgating misinformation about the pandemic and the insurrection. I write this after having reread many of your past email responses to me and to your family. Well, they're not sharing with you my email responses, so it's really just the ones to you or to my other utterly insane communist uncle. 
I thought that you might want to read this article to your credulous and misguided listeners. There you have it. That is academic elitism on display. There is absolutely no way he can be wrong as he apes information passed down by the authoritative source, even though the funding for that information came from people who are legitimately guilty of crimes against humanity and will see their day in court. All of it is like the Nuremberg trials never happened. How could they deny the history they know? Well, they believe it can't possibly be them because people like them and people better than them would never actually do this. And he knows that because he's a good person, according to him. While emailing his own family members to convince them that I'm a criminal. And of course, we all know how this is going to end. I have no interest whatsoever in trying to convince him that I'm right because he's a fact guy. There's no amount of evidence I could possibly give him. So I responded very sarcastically to tell him how much of a fool he is. And I included Ashley Biden's diary and Hunter Biden's laptop and some things like that, the actual evidence so that he could look at it for himself. He's not going to. But I wanted to make sure that he knows this information is available because when it comes to be clear for him in reality, he will know that I showed it to him however long ago. Now, he might not ever reach that point. If you want to ask me who the four to six percent, let's say, who will be left behind by all of this, the people who will actually go insane when there is ultimately a society wide moment of truth. These are the sorts of people who are going to go insane. And so he responds and each response is a little more unhinged and other family members begin to tell him that he is crazy for what he's doing and literally, obviously attempting to tear at the bonds that hold families and extended families together. And rather than backing off, he begins pleading his own victimhood and then says that he is more than happy to Go over any evidence I provide, but there's just no scientific evidence anywhere in the world that disputes any of his points. And I'm not joking. I'm not overstating it. That is what he said. He was claiming that I just simply don't provide evidence. I don't have evidence for any of the things that I claim because I'm a stupid Trump supporter. I'm one of the no-no people saying the no-no things. And everybody knows that all the no-no things are wrong because all the people saying them are stupid. Whatever information they're basing their conclusions on must also be wrong and invalid because the scientific consensus hasn't approved of any of that information coming into the central discussion. And of course, I could spend my time forwarding plenty of evidence, plenty of papers that support all of the things I say, many or even most of them from legitimate academic journals and from renowned experts around the world. Peter McCullough is one of the most cited scientists in history, but now he's a conspiracy theorist. Robert Malone works directly on this sort of technology, this medical technology, but he's a conspiracy theorist. And you just keep on going. Pierre Corey, conspiracy theorist, even though he just mopped the floor with Alex Berenson yesterday over ivermectin. Everyone is a conspiracy theorist and their evidence should be discounted. The papers they read and analyze, 
that I read their analysis of, those are all discounted. None of it constitutes evidence. This mathematical model funded by Bill Gates and Gavi and the WHO and the NIH, that knocks down all the evidence. You don't need to see anything more. And if you don't agree at this point, you're a criminal. So when I talk about academic elitism, this is what I'm talking about. I have dealt with this every few months now for two years from my family, whose only motivation is to silence me by getting the rest of the family to shame me, which, by the way, they have not done. Now, I'm telling you all of this because I think that it brings to light the important point about evidence and fact, guys, that I've been discussing throughout the last two years and the implications of all that. If I were to bring up to him the VAERS numbers that show that despite anything you want to quibble with about VAERS and its specific accuracy or the fact that it's self-reported by doctors, that's not good enough. You need a randomized controlled trial to trust these doctors. These doctors can't be trusted to self-report vaccine injuries, you see. These doctors aren't like the academic doctors and scientists, you know, the people that agree with us. You got to ignore the clinicians. They don't matter. And so you dispute VAERS. And because no one wants to come down on one side or the other, is VAERS fully valid? Is VAERS fully invalid? Well, no, it's valid in certain ways, but you can't take it as 100% accurate. You can't say that. Because VAERS isn't 100% accurate and they need a certain kind of evidence, that means you get to disregard VAERS altogether. But the truth is, it actually doesn't matter what VAERS says either. Because all of us know about these vaccine side effects from our real lives. Or if we don't, we will soon. But that doesn't actually matter either. What matters is that none of us were even allowed to ask questions about it without being called spreaders of disinformation and criminals. That is part of the censorship regime. That is how they silence competing points of view so that they can maintain the illusion that they are actually operating on objective scientific consensus when they are not, that they are acting on good faith when they are not, when it is all just in search of truth, when it's not, when it's funded by Gavi and Bill and Melinda Gates and the NIH and the WHO. What matters is not that I can convince you on your own terms with a thousand different articles that vaccine injuries are a significant issue that exists in the real world, because if you cared about that evidence, you would have already looked into it yourself, but they don't. They simply deny its validity as evidence, but it doesn't matter. All that matters is that we aren't allowed to ask questions when these same funders, the same people who funded the research that led to the creation of the virus in the first place, are trying to force us to get a vaccine for an illness with an infection fatality rate on par with an average flu. An experimental gene therapy is necessary for everyone in the world to take for a disease that kills one out of a thousand people, almost all of them being over 70 years old 
with an average of four comorbidities. Their side of the case is so weak that no one is even allowed to question them about it, and they still pretend to be doing science. These people have been wrong about everything the entire time. They said the vaccine would prevent transmission and infection. Dr. Deborah Burks testified that that was just a hope. Is that science? They ignore VAERS. They ignore anecdotal evidence. And they ignore all of the studies that appear now that show it's the vaccinated coming down with COVID, the vaccinated hospitalized with COVID and the vaccinated dying from COVID. And Technofog had a great point in his substack just today. And he noted that, okay, Joe Biden has COVID. Well, where did he get that COVID from? Everybody around him is vaccinated and Joe Biden is vaccinated. So the vaccinated person definitely got COVID from another vaccinated person around them. What does the vaccine do? Oh, I get it. It just saves 20 million lives. According to mathematical models, case closed. But what they're relying on is only an argument from authority. They're the academics. They're the experts. They assume they're all acting in good faith, even while telling people they should be imprisoned for sharing information that conflicts with their narrative. And it's published in The Lancet, which is one of the most revered medical journals, despite the fact that they had to rescind their hydroxychloroquine paper based on the fact that the statistics that they were analyzing had been falsified. But that too, that was just everyone trying to do their best. And yeah, mistakes are made. Of course, everybody makes mistakes, but these are still the academics and the experts. They're the best at everything. And not only are they able to analyze that very specialized field they are in, they're also masters of politics and human nature and morality. So it turns out they always reach the right conclusions. Because they're the best people and they don't want to imprison you to silence you. They want to imprison you because you're a murderer. And this person is the person that has justified and legitimized the practice of taking vaccines to my family, many of whom went along and took them. Whose fault will it be when the negative vaccine reactions begin to appear over time for my family members. Well, that's him. Now, getting off the subject of my own personal experiences, I hope that was valuable. I didn't think it would take me quite that long to get through it. But I do want to hit on some other things today before I go. First, Steve Bannon has been found guilty for his failure to comply with the J6 committee's subpoenas. Now, again, the January 6th committee is absolutely illegitimate and not set up according to the rules that govern Congress. And the subpoena is not even in proper form, but they've found Bannon guilty. They didn't allow him to use in his defense the argument of executive privilege, which was real and is real. And his case will be appealed on that basis and hopefully we'll get a better finding. And if not, then it will be appealed again. 
This is a clear prosecution of political opponents by an illegitimate and dictatorial regime. We should see it for what it is. If this was happening in a third world country, if this was happening in Southeast Asia or Central America, we would know exactly what this is. We pretend it's not happening because the TV tells us that Steve Bannon is very dangerous and very evil and that the January 6th committee is not only legitimate, they are saving the American Republic on behalf of our democracy, even though all their testimony has been utterly ridiculous and they're not allowing anyone to challenge any of that testimony. Is it a kangaroo court? No, no, no. This is just what we need to do to preserve our democracy. Our priorities are so important that the rule of law doesn't matter right now. And I imagine that my very dumb uncle is probably watching CNN every night that the January 6th television show is on, just wringing his hands in fury, wondering why everything didn't just magically get better. Once they got rid of Donald Trump, oh, it's his supporters, those domestic terrorists. Hey, guy, we're about to be 95% of the country. And what do you think you're going to look like then? Today in Wisconsin, Representative Janelle Branchen signed on to Tim Ramthan's resolution to decertify the 2020 election in Wisconsin. Here is the press release. State Representative Janelle Branchen, chair of the Assembly Committee on Campaigns and Elections, has declared her request for the decertification of the November 2020 presidential election with the following statement. Fair and honest elections are the cornerstone of our democracy, and we know that the 2020 presidential election was neither fair nor transparent. A handful of rogue clerks, along with the Wisconsin Election Commission, decided they would subvert our election processes with private money, drop boxes, illegal use of the indefinitely confined provision and elimination of special voting deputies. We will never know the outcome of the 2020 presidential election. Tyranny is at Wisconsin's door. We have been told for months now that decertification is impossible, meaning there is no downside to cheating in Wisconsin elections. How many more times do we need to endure this election injustice? I will join Representative Ramthan's call for decertification, as I see no other means of justice for Wisconsin voters. We have been unable to stop the Wisconsin Elections Commission, a tyrannical agency that has created voting guidance to clerks while subverting the legislature and has no regard for existing laws. Our democracy is in jeopardy. And that is a powerful statement. Representative Branchen has been on the election integrity issue from the beginning, and she should be seen as a hero in Wisconsin for her work. She has overseen the hearings of Michael Gableman, and those have been extremely valuable as well. And she has conducted really rational evidence-based hearings. Janelle Branchen is awesome, and we should all appreciate that she has come out with this statement today. Now, yesterday I discussed the fake president's COVID or cancer or whatever he actually has. And I suggested on making sense of the madness with Sean Morgan that Joe Biden is often repeating stories that he's been telling for 50 years. And I thought potentially he flubbed a word in one of those old stories he always reverts to. Turns out I was right about that. 
And this also gives us some more insight into whether or not he has cancer or if that was just simply a Joe Biden dementia brain fart. And there's good reason to believe it was the latter. I don't know who put this video together, but it was on Andrew Kerr NC's Twitter. You're going to hear Biden tell the exact same story twice. Once it's about asthma. Once it's about cancer. And I, we, I, when we went to a small little school that was about uh, a mile from the apartment complex we lived in and a little school called Holy Rosary. And I, you couldn't walk to school because although it was a four lane access highway, it was just too dangerous to cross some of the streets. And my mother would get in the, and when it came spring, I mean, it came in the fall. This is the God's truth. And you get in the car and there's a little frost on the window turn on the windshield wiper, there'd be an oil slick. Not a joke. I have asthma and 80% of the people who, in fact, we grew up with have asthma. I just, in an apartment complex, we moved to Delaware and just up the road to a little school I went to, Holy Rosary Grade School. And because it was a four-lane highway that was accessible, my mother drove us and rather than us be able to walk. And guess what? The first frost, you know what was happening? You had to put on their windshield wipers to get literally the oil slick off the window. That's why I and so damn many other people I grew up have cancer. So that first clip was from April and the second was from this week. He's telling the same story and he says cancer inadvertently the second time around. Now, you might be inclined to think that the asthma story, therefore, is definitely true. And he just meant to say asthma and he's saying cancer this time. But knowing Joe Biden and the stories he tells, chances are that neither story is true. And he just straight up made it up because he has a long history of doing that. But either way, Joe Biden has covid and we've been told that he's taking Paxlovid as part of his treatment regimen. This is from the New York Post yesterday. Biden's doctor stops heart meds with COVID treatment despite risk of blood clots. President Biden's physician stopped the commander in chief's use of heart medications Thursday after he began to take Paxlovid to treat COVID-19, White House officials said, despite the fact that doing so elevates the risk of dangerous blood clots. Dr. Ashish Jha, the White House coronavirus coordinator, said at a press briefing that it's very standard to discontinue the medications during a five-day regimen of the antiviral Paxlovid. Medical experts had expressed concern about Biden's use of blood thinner Equilis to treat atrial fibrillation and irregular heartbeat condition while he takes COVID. Biden also takes Crestor to lower his cholesterol. Ja didn't address the fact that the Food and Drug Administration specifically warns that Premature discontinuation of any oral anticoagulant, including Eliquis, increases the risk of thrombotic events, meaning blood clots. In 1988, Biden survived two brain aneurysms, which blood clots can cause. The drug Eliquis is marketed to lower the risk of stroke and clots for people who have atrial fibrillation. Ja told reporters that O'Connor, this is the president's doctor, told him that heart medications need to be stopped when you take Paxlovid. It's a very standard common thing that we do when we give people Paxlovid, he said. 
You don't need to do anything in those circumstances. They both get stopped for the five days that he's on Paxlovid and then they get restarted and it's totally fine and pretty normal practice. And, you know, this is a common thing when people take Paxlovid that was only introduced two months ago or something. Ooh, accuracy. Is it more than two months? Is it slightly less than two months? Better get those facts straighter. You can't trust it. The FDA recognizes Paxlovid as potentially interacting negatively with anticoagulant medications, but not specifically Eliquis. The heart drugs manufacturer advises caution about mixing the two. Harvard Medical School doctor Eli Gelfand, a cardiologist, told the Post that, quote, Generally, in patients who take Eliquis and are prescribed Paxlovid, the dose of Eliquis is reduced by half or the drug is temporarily held altogether. Gelfand, who also serves as section chief for general cardiology at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston, said that whether to reduce the dose or hold Eliquis depends on the initial indication for Eliquis therapy. The interaction between Paxlovid and Eliquis typically lasts for approximately eight days, meaning that the Eliquis is dose reduced or held for three additional days after Paxlovid course is complete. So we are being told that the president of the United States of America, the real actual president, he's not, but that's what we're told, has received a positive COVID test. So that means he's COVID positive, even though the tests don't necessarily mean that. And to treat his COVID that he has had four shots of experimental gene therapy for, we're told, he needs to be taking an experimental pharmaceutical called Paxlovid. And during that time, he's going to get off his heart medications, which could, by some small chance, make him more susceptible to blood clotting and strokes. Now, again, I'm not hoping for any ill health outcomes for Joe Biden. I hope he recovers quickly. He is soon after removed from office and then eventually tried for his career of corruption and criminality and selling out the country and everything all the way up to treason, which he has quite obviously committed. But I want him to be alive and healthy for all of that. Now, what poses a greater risk to Joe Biden? COVID? In its first stages, only a positive test for COVID. We are told he has very mild symptoms. Is that the primary concern? Or is someone with his history of brain aneurysms more susceptible to getting a stroke after his blood thinners and heart medications are eliminated? Which poses the bigger risk to the president of the United States of America and ostensibly to the country if he really was the president of the United States of America? You would have to think the blood clots. And of course, we're told that his four doses of experimental gene therapy that, you know, unfortunately didn't prevent him from getting COVID will at least prevent his serious illness or death. So why does he need to take this other experimental medication at the costs of eliminating medications he knows he needs? Doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, but hey, thank goodness, at least the vaccine doesn't cause blood clotting and strokes. Ha. Oh, man, that's uh, yeah. it's not true. It actually does do that. But hey, you got to trust the experts. Now, speaking of the untouchably perfect class of people that are 
the experts and the academics. This is from Red State two days ago. This is from Wednesday. Study CDC relied upon for school mask mandates was authored by L.A. County Public Health Director's daughter, who's also not a medical doctor. A study finding that covid mitigation efforts in schools, including forced masking, were highly effective in stopping disease spread and cited by the CDC and most states as the scientific basis for school mask mandates was authored by L.A. County bureaucrats, including the daughter of the county's public health director, Barbara Ferrer, who herself looks like the walking dead. Although study authors are required to disclose any conflicts of interest and Ferrer is given a shout out in the acknowledgments, the study states that no conflicts of interest were disclosed. Like her mother, Caitlin Barnes is not a medical doctor. Barnes does not even have a scientific background or a PhD in any field. Her professional background is a combination of her parents' professions. Kenneth Barnes has a long career in urban planning and community organizing. Urban planning and community organizing. They might as well just call him a communist activist. From an archived copy of Caitlin's website, which has been scrubbed. Born and raised in Jamaica Plain, a diverse and vibrant neighborhood of Boston. She attended the Boston Public Schools and graduated from Boston Latin School in 2004, receiving a BA with a major in Metropolitan Studies and a minor in Politics from NYU. Her research focused on urban planning and policy, immigration, race and racism, and health equity. Caitlin went on to earn an MA in Communication Management from Emerson College in 2012, focusing on stakeholder management public diplomacy, place branding, and health communication. She recently completed an MBA at Boston University's Questrom School of Business with a dual concentration in strategy and innovation and health sector management. So basically, she has spent her career studying theories of how to control aggregate human behavior, how to get a lot of people to do what you want them to do. Barnes was hired by the Los Angeles County Office of Education in late 2020 as a temporary project manager in the public relations and communications department. Prior to moving to Los Angeles, Caitlin worked at Boston University as the international corporate outreach manager for Metropolitan College's international division. And before that, essentially as a communications director slash community liaison for both Berkeley College of Music and Emerson College, both in Boston. She also did comms on a few political campaigns for friends of Barbara Ferrer, such as former Boston Mayor Thomas Menino. Despite the fact she has no prior experience in conducting any public health research, she got right to work on the study, which was a joint effort between LACOE and Ferrer's department. So Barbara Ferrer, who is the public health director for Los Angeles County, got her daughter a job with the Los Angeles County Office of Education. And then her office worked with her daughter, representing the Los Angeles County of Education, to compile this study that proves that masks are good for kids. The study, published in August 2021, 
concluded that students who went to school during the winter of 2020 to 2021 tested positive for COVID at a much lower rate than their peers who did not attend LA County schools. The author concluded that therefore the protocols in place in LA County were responsible for this. A rash of stories published around the time this study was released follow the same pattern. They lead with the story of a teacher who allegedly infected 26 people by reading to her students without wearing a mask, taking care to emphasize that the teacher was one of only two unvaccinated teachers in the school. Then the stories shift. But hey, look at this. A new study out of L.A. County shows that mandatory masking in schools works. CDC director Rochelle Walensky even mentioned it in a press briefing. Not a mention of the massive conflict of interest in any of those pieces and only passing references to the study's flaws. Walensky's comments during the August 27th, 2021 White House press briefing slamming those who did not want to comply with mask recommendations featured this study, which was cited as scientific evidence that these protocols must be followed. The CDC took a study compiled by Barbara Ferrer's daughter, who has no scientific experience, no medical experience, and not really any public health experience, except in her academic background. The CDC cited that. As the authoritative source they are, that is where they got information. To Rochelle Walensky, director of the CDC, that study was authoritative enough to cite in her work working as a scientist in good faith. And beyond that, consider what it means that they are citing this study. How little information in the world must exist to support the argument that masks work if you are resorting to that as director of the CDC. Oh, how can I even question the CDC your disinformation has a death toll. Good luck with that, Kami. She said in part, we also have clear scientifically backed guidance that offers a framework for schools to open and remain open for a safe and healthy learning environment in this unprecedented academic year ahead. Adding to this body of evidence, two studies will be published in today's MMWR that demonstrate the importance of consistent and correct use of these mitigation strategies, especially vaccination and universal masking. In their first report, looking at COVID cases in Los Angeles County, we saw the power of layered prevention. School associated cases remained lower than cases in the community because of prevention efforts. In schools with safety protocols in place, case rates in children and adolescents were about three and a half times lower during the winter peak compared to rates in the community. Even when communities were experiencing high levels of COVID transmission in the L.A. County study, layered prevention measures in schools provided a shield of protection, helped to keep COVID out of school and reduced the spread when cases did occur. As it turns out, a position as a temporary project manager, likely paid for with CARES Act funds, pays well. Barnes was paid over $130,000 in 2021. Isn't that nice? American taxpayers give the federal government their money. The federal government distributes all that money to the states that do what the federal government wants them to do. And then 
the leaders, in quotes, of those states take that money and give it to their own children to produce wholly unscientific studies supporting the narrative they were already pushing. Well, that right there is the communist circle of life. It's not a secret within L.A. County employee circles that Barnes is Ferrer's daughter. When Ferrer was presented with the Woman of the Year Award in May 2022, she tearfully and without a mask thanked her daughter for being there for her during the stress of the pandemic. Ferrer's words after thanking her family underscore what we at Red State and other journalists such as Katie Grimes at California Globe, Bill Malugin at Fox and John Phillips of KABC Radio have been saying since the early days of the pandemic. This woman is not a scientist or a public health professional. She's an activist pursuing her agenda by any means necessary, and that agenda isn't limited to Los Angeles County. Or as expert biologists would say, that's still the science regardless of whether or not she's a scientist. And because it agrees with us as scientists, now that study becomes authoritative. That study gets the stamp of approval. Peter McCullough, no. Conspiracy theorist. Robert Malone, conspiracy theorist. Pierre Corey, conspiracy theorist. This study, however, authoritative. And you don't have any evidence to dispute it. So you better stop talking about it or else we're going to imprison you. Sorry, we gave you a chance. I'll be back on Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com. 
or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!